Friends, listeners, hello. Welcome to the Voice of Love broadcast, where we can experience God's love and start on a new journey. I am your host, Katherine Mills. Today, we'll be sharing with you some recitations of God's words. This program will air at the same time every week. If you'd like to enjoy more inspirational programming, please check out the Church of Almighty God website at www.holyspiritspeaks.org. There was a report in the media that the wreckage of Noah's Ark had been found on Mount Ararat in eastern Turkey. When they heard this news, many people were shocked, and it reminded me of the circumstances recorded in the Bible of when God destroyed the world with floods. Because the people of that time did not revere God and were wicked and corrupt to the point where God couldn't even stand to look at them any longer, they aroused His wrath. Except for the eight people in Noah's family who survived, everyone else was destroyed. Sometimes I think, out of all the people on the earth at that time, why did God choose just Noah to build the ark? This is perhaps an issue which everyone would like to understand. So let's listen together to what God says. God's utterance, God's work, God's disposition, and God Himself, one, part three. B. Noah. One, God intends to destroy the world with a flood, instructs Noah to build an ark. Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 through 14. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And, behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make you an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shall you make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. Genesis chapter 6, verses 18 through 22. But with you will I establish my covenant, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shall you bring into the ark, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, 
of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind. Two of every sort shall come to you to keep them alive and take you to you of all food that is eaten and you shall gather it to you and it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Do you now have a general understanding of who Noah is after reading these passages? What kind of person is Noah? The original text is, Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. According to the understanding of modern people, what kind of a person is a just man back in that time? A just man should be a perfect man. Do you know whether this perfect man is perfect in the eyes of man or perfect in the eyes of God? Without a doubt, this perfect man is a perfect man in the eyes of God and not in the eyes of man. This is for certain. This is because man is blind and cannot see, and only God looks upon the entire earth and every single person. Only God knows Noah is a perfect man. Therefore, God's plan to destroy the world with a flood began from the moment he called upon Noah. When it came to that time, God intended to call upon Noah to do a very important thing. Why did he have to do it? Because God had a plan in his heart at that moment. His plan was to destroy the world with a flood. Why destroy the world? It says here, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. What do you see from the phrase, the earth was filled with violence? It's a phenomenon on earth when the world and its people are corrupt to the extreme, and that is, the earth was filled with violence. In today's language, filled with violence means everything is in a mess. For man, it means in all walks of life there is no order and things are quite chaotic and difficult to manage. In God's eyes, it means the people of the world are too corrupt. Corrupt to what extent? Corrupt to the extent that God can no longer bear to look and can no longer be patient about it. Corrupt to the extent that God decides to destroy it. When God became determined to destroy the world, He planned to find someone to build an ark. Then God chose Noah to do this thing, which is to let Noah build an ark. Why choose Noah? In God's eyes, Noah is a just man, and no matter what God instructs him to do, he will do so accordingly. It means he will do whatever God tells him to do. God wanted to find someone like this to work with him, 
to complete what he had entrusted, to complete his work on earth. Back then, was there another person apart from Noah who could complete such a task? Definitely no. Noah was the only candidate, the only person who could complete what God entrusted. And so, God chose him. But was God's scope and standards for saving people back then the same as it is now? The answer is, there's absolutely a difference. Why do I ask? Noah was the only just man in God's eyes during that time. By implication, his wife and his sons and daughters-in-law were all not just people. But God still kept these people because of Noah. God did not ask of them the way he asks of people now, and instead kept all eight members of Noah's family alive. They received God's blessing because of Noah's righteousness. If there was no Noah, none of them could have completed what God had entrusted. Therefore, Noah was the only person who was supposed to survive the destruction of the world that time, and the others were just collateral beneficiaries. This shows that, in the era before God officially commenced his management work, the principles and standards with which he treated people and asked of them were relatively relaxed. To the people of today, the way God treated Noah's family of eight appears to lack fairness. But compared to the volume of work he now does on people and the amount of his word he conveys, the treatment God gave to Noah's family of eight was merely a work principle, given the background of his work at the time. By comparison, did Noah's family of eight receive more from God, or do the people of today? In the time of Noah, God constantly irrigated the earth with mists, and no rain fell from the sky. Against this backdrop, God said that he would destroy the world with floods, and he asked Noah to build the ark. It would not have been so easy for anyone to believe or to accept when faced with this commission from God. Yet Noah didn't ask why or give any excuses, but just simply obeyed and heeded God and acted wholly in accordance with God's command. Noah's deeds and actions are indeed worth imitating. Next, let us continue our earlier story and together understand the disposition revealed by God when He destroyed the world with floods. That Noah was called upon is a simple fact. But the main point of what we are talking about, God's disposition, His will, and His essence in this record, is not simple. To understand these several aspects of God, we must first understand the kind of person God desires to call upon, and through this, 
understand his disposition, will, and essence. This is crucial. So in God's eyes, just what kind of a person is this man he calls upon? This must be a person who can listen to his words, who can follow his instructions. At the same time, this must also be a person with a sense of responsibility, someone who will carry out God's word by treating it as the responsibility and duty they are bound to fulfill. Then does this person need to be someone who knows God? No. Back in that time, Noah had not heard too much of God's teachings or experienced any of God's work. Therefore, Noah's knowledge of God was very little. Although it is recorded here that Noah walked with God, did he ever see God's person? The answer is definitely no. Because in those days, only God's messengers came to people. While they could represent God in saying and doing things, they were merely conveying God's will and His intentions. God's person was not revealed to man face to face. In this part of the scriptures, all we basically see is what this person Noah had to do and what God's instructions to him were. So what was the essence expressed by God here? Everything God does is planned with precision. When he sees a thing or a situation occurring, there will be a standard to measure it in his eyes, and this standard will determine whether he commences a plan to deal with it or how to treat this thing and situation. He is not indifferent or has no feelings toward everything. It's actually the complete opposite. There is a verse here that God said to Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. In God's words this time, did he say he was destroying only humans? No. God said he was going to destroy all living things of flesh. Why did God want destruction? There is another revelation of God's disposition here. In God's eyes, there is a limit to his patience toward man's corruption, toward the filthiness, violence, and disobedience of all flesh. What is his limit? It's as God said, God looked on the earth, and, behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way on the earth. What does the phrase, for all flesh had corrupted his way on the earth, mean? It means any living thing, including those who followed God, those who called on the name of God, those who once sacrificed burnt offerings to God, those who verbally acknowledged God and even praised God. Once their behavior was full of corruption and reached God's eyes, 
he would have to destroy them. That was God's limit. So to what extent did God remain patient to man and the corruption of all flesh? To the extent that all people, whether followers of God or unbelievers, were not walking the right path. To the extent that man was not just morally corrupt and full of evil, but where there was no one who believed in God's existence, let alone anyone who believed that the world is ruled by God and that God can bring people light and the right path. To the extent that man despised God's existence and did not permit God to exist. Once man's corruption reached this point, God would no longer have patience. What would replace it instead? the coming of God's wrath and God's punishment. Was that not a partial revelation of God's disposition? In this current age, is there still a just man in the eyes of God? Is there still a perfect man in the eyes of God? Is this age one in which the behavior of all flesh on earth is corrupt in the eyes of God? In this day and age, apart from those God wants to make complete, those who can follow God and accept His salvation, aren't all people of flesh challenging the limit of God's patience? Isn't everything that happens beside you, what you see with your eyes and hear with your ears, and personally experience every day in this world, full of violence? In God's eyes, shouldn't such a world, such an age, be ended? Though the background of the current age is completely different from the background of Noah's time, the feelings and wrath God has toward man's corruption remains exactly the same as it was back at that time. God is able to be patient because of His work, but in accordance with all kinds of circumstances and conditions, this world should have been destroyed long ago in God's eyes. The situation is far and beyond what it was back when the world was destroyed by flood. But what's the difference? This is also the thing that saddens God's heart the most, and perhaps something none of you can appreciate. When he was destroying the world by flood, God could call upon Noah to build an ark and do some of the preparation work. God could call upon one man, Noah, to do these series of things for him. But in this current age, God doesn't have anybody to call upon. Why is that? Every single person sitting here probably understands and knows the reason very well. Do you need me to spell it out? Saying it out loud might make you lose face and get everybody upset. Some people might say, although we are not just people and we are not perfect people in the eyes of God, if God instructs us to do something, we will still be capable of doing it 
Before, when he said a catastrophic disaster was coming, we started preparing food and items that would be needed in a disaster. Wasn't all of this done in accordance with God's demands? Weren't we really cooperating with God's work? Can't these things we did be compared to what Noah did? Isn't doing what we did true obedience? Weren't we following God's instructions? Didn't we do what God said because we have faith in God's words? Then why is God still sad? Why does God say He has no one to call upon? Is there any difference between your actions and those of Noah's? What's the difference? Preparing food today for the disaster was our own intention. Our actions cannot reach just, whereas Noah is a just man in God's eyes. What you said isn't too far off. What Noah did is materially different to what people are doing now. When Noah did as God instructed, he didn't know what God's intentions were. He didn't know what God wanted to accomplish. God had only given him a command, instructed him to do something, but without much explanation, and he went ahead and did it. He didn't try to figure out God's intentions in private, nor did he resist God or have a double heart. He just went and did it accordingly, with a pure and simple heart. Whatever God let him do, he did, and obeying and listening to God's word were his conviction for doing things. That was how straightforwardly and simply he dealt with what God entrusted. His essence, the essence of his actions, was obedience, not second-guessing, not resisting, and moreover, not thinking of his own personal interests and his gains and losses. Further, when God said he would destroy the world with a flood, he did not ask when or try to get to the bottom of it, and he certainly did not ask God just how he was going to destroy the world. He simply did as God instructed. However God wanted it to be made, and made with what, he did exactly as God asked, and also commenced action immediately thereafter. He did it with an attitude of wanting to satisfy God. Was he doing it to help himself avoid the disaster? No. Did he ask God how much longer before the world would be destroyed? He didn't. Did he ask God or did he know how long it would take to build the ark? He didn't know that either. He simply just obeyed, listened, and did it accordingly. The people of now are not the same. As soon as a bit of information is leaked through God's word, as soon as people sense a sign of disturbance or trouble, they will immediately spring into action no matter what and regardless of the price, to prepare what they will eat, 
drink, and use in the aftermath, even planning their escape routes when the disaster strikes. Even more interesting is that, at this key moment, human brains are very useful. Under circumstances where God has not given any instructions, man can plan for everything very appropriately. You could use the word perfect to describe it. As for what God says, what God's intentions are, or what God wants, no one cares and no one tries to appreciate it. Isn't that the biggest difference between the people of today and Noah? Hearing this recital, I feel God's grief. And also, the same mankind that was so corrupt, so resistant to God, who aroused the wrath of God, and the wicked age that God couldn't bear to see. And when God destroyed the world with floods, that there even could be someone like Noah who could cooperate with God's work. Yet today, in the last days, God cannot find anyone like Noah to be called upon to complete his commissions. Thinking of this, I feel ashamed and abashed. I have the fortune to live in the last days and to have been chosen by God. I know that God first issued his laws and commandments to guide mankind and that God was nailed upon the cross to redeem mankind. And now we also accept the watering and shepherding of God's words. No matter how much more than Noah we can enjoy the blessings of God or read God's words, when comparing with Noah's living out of humanity and obedience to God's words, we fall far short. In this record of Noah's story, do you see a part of God's disposition? There is a limit to God's patience toward man's corruption, filthiness, and violence. When he reaches that limit, he will no longer be patient and will instead begin his new management and new plan, start to do what he has to do, reveal his deeds and the other side of his disposition. This action of his is not to demonstrate that he must never be offended by man or that he is full of authority and wrath, and it is not to show that he can destroy humanity. It is that his disposition and his holy essence can no longer allow, no longer have the patience for this kind of humanity to live before him, to live under his dominion. That is to say, when all of mankind is against him, when there is no one he can save in the whole earth, he will no longer have patience for such a humanity and will, without any misgiving, carry out his plan to destroy this kind of humanity. Such an act by God is determined by his disposition. This is a necessary consequence and a consequence that every created being under God's dominion 
must bear. Recognizing God's authority and accepting and obeying His sovereignty is the sole path for us to attain salvation. Noah serves as a model for us. He could obey God's words, follow God's arrangements. He did everything God asked him to do, and he made no choices for himself. His behavior was acceptable to God, and so he was able to survive the floods. Dear friends and listeners, you'd probably like to be a person just like Noah. So starting right now, let us seek God's will in every issue we encounter. Act in accordance with God's words and strive to be a person in whom God takes delight. God's words nourish our lives and cleanse our hearts. They bring us abundant love and inspiration and they encourage us to always forge ahead. Well, friends, that's it for our program today. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to enjoy even more music videos, recitations of God's words, choral works, musicals, stage plays, and gospel films, please visit the Church of Almighty God website at www.holyspiritspeaks.org. You can also email us at info at almightygod.church or call our gospel hotline at 1-347-422-1980. May God bless us. See you next time.